Thank you, Pastor Corey. Boy, it is so good to be with you tonight on this Good Friday and to join in worshiping together and praying together. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for leading us in prayer tonight. And my big thanks to, to Wayne Kittle and Pastor Mark. They're making all the magic happen behind the scenes with the computers and the cameras. Tonight, as we have gathered here online, you know, I hear a lot of people that have been talking about this Easter is different, and obviously it is, because we're not able to gather here in this familiar place that we call home, that we call a sanctuary to worship in. And even though we're not here together, and I miss all of you so much, I think what I really want to say is how much more I sense the presence of the Lord, how much more dependent I am on the presence of God. Fellas, I don't know if you feel and sense that same thing, but there's always that sense of God's presence with us when we're gathered, but tonight as we're in our homes or uh, I'm here at the, the church, we're worshiping and we know that Christ's presence is with us. And I want to take a little different track tonight to talk about communion as we remember what Christ did for us. You know, I look back over 21 years of preaching Good Friday sermons here and then Good Friday sermons prior to coming to Pastor Woodland Church, and I realized I'd never really done a whole message about a major character on the Good Friday story, and that's Judas. Did you know that Judas's name means that God should be praised? Did you know that Judas's name means to God be the glory? And I just kind of contemplated upon his name and thought about that story, and I want us to look tonight at the life of Judas and what caused someone that was so close to Jesus to betray Christ? So if you're following along in your app, uh, the notes are there, the scripture references are there. But if not, just kind of follow along with me tonight if you want to grab your Bibles. But in Matthew chapter 27, the Bible says that very early in the morning, the leading priest and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, now remember, when his mother named him, she was thinking, God be praised. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. And then Judas threw down the silver coins in the temple, and he went out and he hanged himself. Father, in the name of Jesus, tonight I just ask you to help us learn what we need to know from the story of Judas and why you've left it recorded for us in the word of the Lord. Just like we said Wednesday night, sometimes we need to ask ourselves, what's this part of the story left there for? God, a great beginning and a tragic end. And I pray in your name that we would take a careful look at this tonight and apply these lessons. Amen. Amen. Well, when I think about Judas, I think about Jesus. I mean, how can you not? Jesus called Judas. Jesus chose Judas. Jesus trusted Judas. The Bible tells us that Judas was more or less the treasurer of the disciples. He kept the funds and watched over them. But not only did Jesus choose Judas, but Judas chose Jesus. 
I'm sure there were other people that Jesus must have called that decided not to follow him. Just like there are people today that the Holy Spirit convicts them, the Holy Spirit calls out to them, but they say no. Maybe some of you who are listening to me tonight, there was a period in your life where the Holy Spirit convicted you and you were being drawn to Christ, but for whatever the reason, you just kind of stepped back and said, no, I don't want anything to do with Jesus now. But Judas chose to follow Jesus. And when you look at Judas, he was trusted and he was loved. He was loved by Jesus. He was trusted by Jesus. And there must have been a time where Judas trusted Jesus and loved him as well. But by betraying Jesus, Judas is not a name that we choose to give our sons because of all of the memories that are associated with it. We name our sons Matthew. We name them Mark. We named one of our sons Andrew. We name them names from the Bible because of what they represent. There are members in our church named Joshua. There are members in our church named Luke. And we thank God for those men, but nobody names their son Judas. And you ask yourself, how could someone with such a great name, to God be praised, my grandson's name is Josiah. And a lot of times when I'm praying for him, I will say, Lord, remember Josiah, he whom the Lord heals. What happened to Judas? Well, the sad fact of the story is that even though he was called and chosen by Jesus, the devil had a role. The Bible says that before the Passover celebration, the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Iscariot, Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Somehow or another, Judas began to ignore what Christ was saying and began to pay attention to the promptings of the devil. The Bible tells us that Satan preys upon our weaknesses. Uh, the Bible uses an illustration that Satan is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for opportunities. He's looking for advantages. He's looking for weaknesses in people's life that he can take advantage of them and devour them. He's looking for disappointments. He's looking for disillusionments. He's looking for pain. He's looking for hurt, for bitterness, for pride. He's looking for all of those things that we tend to put out flags and signals that we're going through in our life. And then the Bible tells us that somewhere along the way, Judas left the door of his heart open to the devil. He listened to the promptings, but then he left the door of his heart. And I, I don't know what gate it was. I have some suspicions or guesses, and I'll share them with you tonight. But Judas left the door open to the devil, and the Bible says in John 13 and verse 27 that Satan entered into him. Well, one of the things that I think are one of those doors that was open is I think it was the door of greed. Greed is one of those insidious things that when it grips our heart and it takes hold of our lives, then we begin not to see life from a, a position of generosity. We begin to see life not from a position of integrity, but we begin to see life with scarcity, and we begin to see life as I've got to get what's mine in this world, no matter what else happens to anybody else. There's a story in the Bible about a woman who came to Jesus with some very expensive perfume. Some scholars believe that the perfume was so expensive that it must have been in her family for generations. And because they used only a little bit of it at the time is why she still had it. But she came and lavishly and extravagantly poured that perfume out on Jesus, anointing him, anticipating his burial. 
the fragrance of that perfume filled the entire house and Jesus recognized what she was doing for him, but Judas got angry about it. He said, this perfume could have been sold for a year's wages to have given money to the poor. But the Scripture is very clear that Judas didn't care anything about the poor. What he cared about was he could have taken a cut out of that because he had been helping himself to the funds that were in the treasury taking care of himself. The Bible says that Judas would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. In Judas' day, that was about the age for an average working man of eight months' worth of wages. So when Judas said that this perfume was worth about a year, he probably thought, well, I can get this back by betraying Jesus. I think one of the other things that must have happened to Judas was he was disillusioned. He was disillusioned and disappointed in who Christ said he was going to be. I mean, when he first started following him, as all the disciples did, they thought that Jesus was going to be this great liberator. If you've ever studied South American history and you've studied uh, Simon Bolivar and you've understood how he was known as a liberator and how he freed uh, his nation from the, from the shackles of Spain, then you kind of have a feeling of how the disciples felt about Jesus, that he was going to be this great liberator and he was going to set his people free. He was the Messiah that was going to come and kick the hated Romans right out of town. Have you ever looked at your life and you thought to yourself, you know what, I followed all the rules, I've done all the right things, and life is still not working out for me. God, why aren't you blessing me? Or have you ever stood by the bedside of someone who's suffering intensely and you've seen strong men begin to weep and to cry as they suffer and you look at them or you looked at your mom or your wife and you've ever think, if God is a God of love, How could God allow this to happen? And oftentimes, in moments like these, not only in greed and pride, but sometimes just in our compassion for the hurting of others, we think and become disillusioned with God. I can remember being bitter as a young person. I can remember asking God to touch me and to heal me, and I would lift the sheets the next morning only to find out that nothing had happened. And I would see in the church that I grew up in, I I saw people, you know, healed. I saw people coming out of wheelchairs. And I have to be honest with you, as a young teenager, I was pretty disillusioned and bitter because God wasn't answering my prayers. But God in His grace, He never gave up. And I'm thankful for that. And even if you're disillusioned or if you're bitter or you're disappointed, I want you to know that God's grace will never give up on you. Don't give up on the Lord because God is not going to give up on you. But if you can identify with any of these things that I've just talked about, then you're probably able to identify with Judas. You're probably in some way able to identify and say, maybe I understand because so often we hurl all of these verbal bombs at Judas And what he did was awful, but I'm asking us to stop at the cross today and to think about what Jesus did for all of us and what he would have done for Judas as well. Sometimes I think people get disillusioned because they, like the disciples, say, you know, Lord, we gave up everything to follow you. 
One time Jesus was talking to his disciples and Peter was trying to defend himself and he says, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. I remember hearing a preacher say when I was just a young man in college, he said, you know, I hear people saying all the time, I gave up this to follow Jesus, I gave up that to follow Jesus. And he looked out at us young men and he says, sir, you gave up nothing worth keeping to follow Jesus. Whatever you left behind to follow Jesus, Christ is worth so much more. And so we have to keep our eyes upon Christ and we have to keep our eyes upon the kingdom because Jesus is the one who makes our lives worth living. Well, whatever the reason, and like I said, those are kind of some guesses on my part, but I have good reason for thinking that because of what the Scripture says. But for whatever the reason, Judas gave up upon Jesus. And one night, after Jesus had talked about suffering, after Jesus had talked about sacrifice, after Jesus had talked about dying, Judas prompted by the devil, the devil entering into his heart, Judas one night must have thought, this is not what I signed up for. When I signed up to follow you, you were going to kick the Romans out, I thought. When I signed up to follow you, I, I thought I was going to have a place in your new government, in your inner circle. When I signed up to follow you, I thought that there was going to be a victory parade, but I didn't sign up for suffering. I didn't sign up for sacrifice. I didn't sign up for death. And I've had people come into my study through the years and they cry and they say, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I gave my heart to Jesus for. Maybe it's been a disappointment. Maybe it's been a job loss. Maybe it's been a sick child or a broken marriage. Whatever it is, sometimes suffering and sacrifice and even dying is a part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. But whatever the case one night, Jesus went to the garden to pray. I've knelt in that very same garden. I've knelt where olive trees have sprung up from the stumps of those olive trees that were there where Jesus was. And I've meditated and thought about the betrayal of Jesus. And Judas came into that garden, and he came with a group of thugs, and he walked over to Jesus and kissed him on the cheek and said, Greetings, Rabbi, which was a sign to the thugs that were with him. And Judas looked into Jesus' eyes, and Jesus looked at him and said, Judas, are you going to betray me with a kiss? You see, that's the question on this Good Friday night I think we have to look at. What would it take to cause us to betray Jesus? I think... When Judas thought about what he had done, and when he realized that he had truly betrayed innocent blood, when he realized that Jesus was going to be scourged and beaten and sacrificed on a cross for your sins or for my sins, something happened in him, something seismic happened in him, something began to shake him and to rattle him to the very core of his being. The Bible says that Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die. He was filled with remorse. Something happened. Shame flooded into Judas's life, for he realized, as he would, only, as he would say, I betrayed innocent blood. 
I know you felt shame. I felt shame. Shame, when it happens, there's a visceral reaction. Our bodies react. We can feel it in our skin. We can feel it in our hands. Shame is, is different than guilt. Shame grips hold of our lives, and it fills us with remorse and guilt, and it's difficult to get away. There's a gut reaction to it. And yet to be healed from shame, to be healed from the shame of betrayal, or to be healed from the shame of sin, it takes an intervention. You know, friends, listen, this is important. I can't heal myself of shame. I can't take away the shame of my sin. I can't take away the shame of my failures. When I'm ashamed, I I tend to want to pull away to myself, or I tend to try and fix things on my own that I'm not capable of fixing. Again, shame is different than guilt. When I can admit that I'm guilty and make restitution or whatever I need to do, but the shame that comes with guilt, and some of you know what I'm talking about, the shame that comes with guilt, a shower can't wash away, a counselor can't wash away. Someone has to intervene, and only Jesus can intervene to take that shame in our lives. When I'm ashamed, I'm not going to go to people. When I'm ashamed, if I'm careful, I won't even go to God. When Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, shame filled their hearts and they they ran from God and they hid from God and they tried to cover themselves up. And when God called out to them and found them, they wouldn't even give God a direct answer to his question. They blamed someone else. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. You see, shame does that to us. It confuses us. And so Judas As he dealt with his remorse, as he dealt with his remorse, his shame, it just began to consume him. It just began to eat him up on the inside. He thought, maybe I can fix this. Maybe I can make this right. Uh, Maybe I can take the 30 pieces of silver and take it back to the high priest and and, and give it back to them. And and we can tear up the contract and Jesus could be set free. I've done wrong. But he goes back to the priest and he he says, I've betrayed innocent blood. They retort. I, I like that word in the Bible. It's a sharp, biting comment. What is that to us? This guilt is upon your head. And Judas threw those 30 pieces of silver down on the floor, and he fled from that place. You see, the difference between remorse and repentance, repentance is making a 180-degree turn and saying, I'm going to turn, and I'm going to follow Christ. Remorse is only like making a 45 to a 90-degree turn where you're trying to fix things yourself. Remorse is where I've got to make this right. I cannot make my sin right. You cannot make your sin right. The world cannot make our sin right. Religion cannot make our sin right. That's why Jesus carried that tree upon his back up to Mount Calvary. And that's why he was crucified on that cross. Because no one could make sin right. No one could atone for sin but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the innocent Lamb of God that we talked about earlier this week. Only Jesus could do that for us. And so tonight as we come to this service, I I want you to understand the difference between repentance and remorse. 
Remorse is, it will cause you to try and fix it yourself, but when you can't, the shame just consumes you inside, and that's what evil does. Hear me tonight. Evil, C.S. Lewis said that evil's goal is to consume all beauty and consume all goodness. And sin, when it's at work in our lives and it seeks to consume all the evil, it seeks to consume all the good, I should say, and all the beauty. You see, when God created you, He said, this is good. When you came into this world, you were God's plan. Whether or not your parents planned you or not, you were God's plan. There are no illegitimate babies. There are only illegitimate parents. Every baby was planned by God. Every life was planned by God. You are in the plan of God. He loves you and He cares for you. But you were born like I was born and everyone else was born. You were born with a sin problem. And that sin is just right in the DNA of our lives. It's hardwired right into us. It's like the only thing that can take away my sin is the blood of Jesus. And when you think about the crucifixion tonight, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus on that cross? Remember Jesus on a cross that was probably eight to ten feet high? Remember that he was stripped naked. He was without even a loincloth. He was hanging there in shame. Not ashamed, but in shame. He was hanging there because the Romans sought to shame him. Satan sought to shame him, this public crucifixion. And people could come within three foot and they looked up at Jesus on the cross as he suffered agonizingly for you and for me. And people would mock him and jeer him. And you say, why? Because that's what evil does. Evil tries to consume beauty, and it tries to consume grace. Every once in a while, I remember a song we sang in the 70s, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing that there's not enough of. Friends, when love walked the face of this earth, we crucified him. It's what evil does. And it was that evil and that shame that consumed Judas and remorse drove him to hang himself. The Bible says in Matthew 27 and verse 5 that Judas went out and hung himself. And I can't help but read that tonight without feeling grief, without feeling pain in my heart on this Good Friday. Because what if Judas had just waited three days? What if Judas had just waited for three days? Instead, he went out and found a tree to hang himself from while Jesus carried a tree up to Mount Calvary. What if Judas had waited for three days while he was climbing out on a branch to tie a rope to hang himself? Jesus was hanging on a tree, bleeding for his sins and atoning for him. Isaiah 53 says he was crucified for our transgressions. He was pierced for you and for me. Judas lay in a grave, his body decomposing, when three days later Jesus walked out of the grave seeking to give life to everyone that would put their faith in him. 
You say, Pastor, you're just kind of exaggerating. No, I'm not exaggerating because God will find you. God will seek you out. God went to find Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned against him. God went to find you and me through Jesus Christ. And Jesus went and he found Peter and he found James and he found John. He found the apostles gathered in an upper room and he met them there and he says, peace be with you. Remember, all of these men had betrayed Jesus. Peter had betrayed Jesus three times. Thomas was not even in the room. And still, Jesus came back when Thomas was in the room. And he looked at Thomas and he says, Thomas, put your fingers into the scars here in my hands. Put your hand in the scar in my side. And Thomas fell down and confessed, my Lord and my God. You see, Jesus, I I told you at the beginning of this message tonight, I am aware of his presence, and his presence is in your home. His presence was with you wherever you're watching this because God is seeking you out on this good Friday night. He hung on that cross so that he could take away the sin, so that he could consume the evil that threatens to consume you, so that God could make something beautiful and something good out of your life. Oh, Judas, all you had to do was wait for three days. Jesus would have restored you. I'm convinced of that. He would have restored you. He restored Peter. (laughs) Peter had denied Jesus three times, betrayed Jesus three times. So three times Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus restored him to ministry, to fellowship. And you know, I believe he would have gone to Judas 30 times. Judas, do you love me? Judas, do you love me? Judas, do you love me? Until he reached 30 times, and Judas suddenly would have lived up to his name. To God be the glory, the Lord be praised. That's what happens when God touches you and forgives you and He removes the sin. He forgives you of the evil. He makes you a brand new creation. Suddenly, you live for the glory of God. And you understand on this day that you may wonder why we call it Good Friday. Because Jesus suspended eight to ten foot off the ground when others tried to shame Him. Jesus victoriously died for you and me to save us from our sin. So tonight, I just want to ask you a simple question. Which tree are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the tree of life that Jesus died on so you could be a brand new creation in Christ? Or will you choose the tree of death that Judas chose to hung himself from? The choice is yours. You can make a 180 degree turn and follow Jesus. Or you can try to fix it yourself. And friends, inevitably, shame and remorse will consume you because nothing can wash away our sins but the blood of Jesus. That's why on this holy night, Pastor Corey led us in our communion service tonight, the broken body representing Christ's body and the cup the juice representing the blood of Jesus Christ for you and me. Let me read you one more scripture, and then I want to pray for you tonight. 
When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. But God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. That's what Calvary does. That's why we celebrate and call this dark day Good Friday. Because my sins, my debt of sin, your sin, your debt of sin is nailed to the cross to be remembered against us no more. And the blood of Jesus is written across it, paid in full. Which tree will you choose tonight? Will you join me in prayer? Lord, I'm asking you this evening, as we are gathered either alone in our homes or as we're gathered with our families, I'm asking you tonight, Father, that we would just contemplate for just a moment what you have done for us at Calvary. Would you take just a moment and would you remember Jesus' crucifixion? And would you look up at him in your mind's eye and would you thank him for shedding his blood for your sins? And then will you take, if you're gathered with your family, would you gather them around you and would you just bless them right now in the name of Jesus and thank God for the gift of his son who gave you your wife, your children, your husband. Would you thank God tonight for that family that you're gathered with? And then while you're doing that, I'd like to talk to maybe some of you who are watching that as of yet you've not given your heart to Jesus Christ. This evening, I want to give you a personal invitation to trust Jesus. You may not understand it all tonight, but something's happening inside of you right now. You know this story is true. You know that this is just not religion. You know that we're gathered here and Christians around the world have gathered to worship the Lord on this Good Friday and to thank Him for the event that turned history around, split it right in two, that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And all you have to do to receive Him tonight is to say, Lord, I believe And ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And what He did at Calvary 2,000 years ago, it atones for you, it atones for me. And then, commit your life to Him. So, Father, would You help my friends who are watching tonight? Lord, would You help them to say yes to You, that I believe in You, Lord Jesus. I commit myself to You. I ask myself, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins and to come into my life. And as much as I know how, I give my heart and life to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, if you did that, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. The Bible says, I didn't say that. The Bible says that. The angels are rejoicing. And tonight, friend, I'd love to send you something to help you in your new walk with Christ. It's a New Life Bible with some helps to help you grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. And all you got to do is send us an email here at office at woodland.church. Real simple, office at woodland.church. And someone will get that out in the mail to you this next week. 
I sure love you. Thank you so much, family, for joining us. If you gave your heart to Christ, please let me know. You can let us know on Facebook or the comments on YouTube or send us an email. But God bless you. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow night for our Saturday night prayer service right here online.